Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I have here a very special guest. I believe the second or third guest in the entire run of this podcast where we um, very presciently, if that's a word, (laughs) said that Russell Wilson... We should have been bolder because we said he was slightly overrated. At least I said he was slightly yeah. overrated at that, at that point when he was being seen as the one B to Mahomes' one A. Now, you know, he's barely startable. Uh, the franchise is ruined in Denver. But I have none other than the ringers, Steve Ruiz. Steve, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, good. So have we um, – where does Russell Wilson stand right now? Underrated, overrated? Properly rated? I think, I think we're at the underrated part. Of yeah. the, the the bell curve or whatever, like the, yeah. this this is how it usually goes with these these quarterbacks with, that are kind of polarizing is that they're they're never properly rated. He, he, a quarterback like him is never going to be properly rated, and I would say like Kirk is like that too. There's a there's a bunch of them. I, I would say two is the new one, but I, uh, well, we'll get into two. We'll get into yeah. two. Trust me. I we have, have um, I even have some sound drops for you on this. Yeah, two yeah, I have I have a two and on sound drop ready for you because I know two and on's after you, and I'll get you to submit eventually on this one. Actually, I don't know if I even believe the two is that great, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, yeah, the problem with Russ is I probably would have said he was overrated though, like every month for the last however for the last like year, and then it just keeps on getting worse. That's the problem. Yeah, it's I like it's kind of like the inverse of the Gino thing. Like, I think I got both of those things right, but I never thought Gino was going to be this. I was like saying, Oh, Gino could be like the 20th best quarterback. Maybe yeah, give him yeah. a chance. I didn't think he was going to be a top 10 quarterback. And I also was like, Oh, like Russ is like, I could see why someone would hold him out of the top 10 out of their top 10. If they're looking at it through a very particular lens or if they, but I didn't, I didn't, ex- yeah. I didn't expect him to be the wor- like the bottom 10 quarterback though. So I'm yeah, not patting myself but- on the back for that. Yeah, it's been totally, totally wild there. So, uh, okay, so we'll we'll get into though these younger guys. Kind of want to basically twenty nineteen class. I think are still questionable. We got Daniel Jones, who we still you know probably don't know about those guys after that. But we'll we'll sprinkle in some other quarterbacks along the way because it'll go towards this like stats versus film maybe sort of discussion in it. But before we start, so I'd like to have like a, a ground a groundwork framework to go wrong with how we're going to discuss this. And part of the discussion, whether it's social media or rankings or power rankings, everything is a best player available in the draft is like, what do we even mean when we say someone is the best player available? What do we mean when we say someone has the you know team as a higher power ranking than another team? Do we think is that they're actually better or are we saying, well, they won these games. So therefore I'm going to give them credit, all that sort of stuff. So when we talk about quarterbacks, I guess where I would start is like when you're saying someone is the best quarterback or a better quarterback than someone else in a ranking, like what are we saying? It might sound like a really simple question, right. but what are we actually saying about one quarterback versus another? Yeah, I think I think there are different ways you can rank quarterbacks. And like my ranking, this is why I won't like call another quarterback ranking stupid, like another one on the Internet, because they're just taking a different approach. Like I understand ranking two at number one in your quarterback rankings if you're reacting to what's happening in season mine, I try to rank them by if you put them on an average team, uh, a replacement level team, all things equal, who would, who would you get the most out of? That's how I look at it. So by ranking Justin Herbert ahead of Tua, 
I think in any offense you put them in, I think Herbert's going to be the better player. Even if I, I do think Tua is playing at a higher level, like compared to his baseline performance than Herbert is right now. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense because here's how I would think about it. So I'm going to try to give you, like I was trying to give him an exact definition. So the exact definition is, you know, we're going to maybe go back to the like Herb, Herb Edwards, you know, like wins, like, you know, you play to win the game. So that's, that's number one. So that's what we're hoping for. And a lot of these cases, like even when I'm talking about the, the draft stuff, like I don't even know if best player is like helping you win the, win right, the games yeah. or not. So that's, that's the, the overarching thing, but specifically how I would look at it is a similar way to you talk about maybe not like a replacement level sort of team, but I was going to say, if you're going to look at a distribution of different types of NFL teams, they have different types of supporting cast. They have different, uh, you know, different environments. Some are in the dome. Some aren't. Some have particular coaches. Some have good wide receivers. Some don't. Some have good off- offensive line. Some don't. And you have kind of like a, a distribution of how teams and context and support lays out. And you were in some sort of magical realm being able to, you know, infinitely put in every quarterback into every possible circumstance and then just purely look at the results. And I guess in my case, I would be looking at expected points added per play for that quarterback in those results. And if you had all of that, I think pretty definitively, you could just look purely at those results. If everything else is controlled for, right. If everything else is controlled for, because it'll also tell you what plays are worth more or aren't, which you might not be able to figure out in your head. So, so if we could do that for every quarterback, I'd be, pretty confident in just saying let's take their actual results again we're, we're running this like an infinite number of times and that's how i would rank order them would you have a problem with doing it in that fashion because it still is stat based i know it's trying to control for context but it's still a stat based would you be willing to do something like that or would you need to still see them i i think that's a perfectly valid way of ranking them i i it wouldn't be my ideal way of doing it, but I, I don't think my way is necessarily better. Like I think it's better because this is how I have cho- chosen to look at the game. I've chosen to look at the game. And I, I, that's why I'm not going to, I mean, I will argue against these rankings. Like I, like, you know, personally, it very, very publicly, but I, I still think that it's a valid way to look at the game. And there's no one lens that is it's the game is too complicated. There are so many different ways to look at it. And I think that's why it's so interesting and why it's so fun to cover this league is because there are many different valid ways to look at it. And I think, I do think there are wrong ways to look at it. And we've seen people do that on the internet, but the way you suggested, I think is perfectly fine. And I, I think it's at least trying to separate the the numbers from the noise that we right. know has such a big effect on on these outcomes like even like epa is a good stat that i use i try to use it more descriptively like just to describe that a player is playing well rather than argue that a player is playing well i don't owe it like I, i'm not consistent with that obviously but and now I don't even know what point I was trying to make, but I will say <laughs> it's not but, the be all end all well, obviously of stats. Right. But I'm saying yeah. like, is it not good because it doesn't measure what happened in that play properly? I, or is I it think not- there's just, there's just too many moving parts. Like even, even like things that make sense on, on paper, like for instance, I saw a uh, Ben Baldwin posted a chart today talking about the dolphins offensive line. And it, the, the, yeah. the post was basically comparing uh, pass blocking grade to sack rate, and then he compared it across quarterbacks on on the same team. So, like you look at Tua and his sack rate's really low, even though like the pass blocking grades are the same for the Dolphins, obviously with Skylar Thompson and Teddy Bridgewater, and their sack rates are super high. But then you dig into that, and then you you think about like what plays are they calling for Tua? 
They're calling a lot of RPOs, which like naturally you're going to avoid sacks. Uh, what, what was the game script in those, in those games where those other guys played? You look at their average dropback probability. Teddy's in the eighties. Skyler's in the high seventies. Two was in the mid sixties. Like that's going to make your offensive line look better if the defense has to worry about the run. So there's just like all these little different things that I think makes it imperfect, but you could say the same thing about film analysis. Like I don't like if I'm watching film and I, this is, this is why I think I, I missed on Jameis uh, back when he was with the Bucks, is because with, like when you're watching film, there's no sound, there's no crowd, there's no score bug. You don't feel the momentum of the game. So like you see a pick and you kind of like go through your head on why he threw the pick and like the fact that he threw the pick and it was like, oh, I see what he was doing. It wasn't that bad of a pick. Like I, I see his thought process, but it's still a bad play that loses you football games. And you, you tend to overlook them when you don't have that context. So I think that's one area where where film analysis falls short. And then just the sample size obviously is a problem. I think that using film analysis, you don't need as big of a sample as you do with numbers, just because like your brain is kind of adding that context in already. But I do think it's a shortcoming of, of that mode of analysis, which I tend to use. Okay. Well, let me, uh, I'll, be, I'll try to pin you down a little bit more on this because I like, I, I understand, you know, everything is a valid way of looking at it. We're all, you know, unique snowflakes and have our <laughs> our strengths and our weaknesses and this and that but see here's see here's why i would say what i talked about the way i talked about which can't be done right like it can't be done obviously cannot be done the reason yeah. that i would still say that like i have trouble poking holes in what's wrong with it again because you are doing this thing where you are holding context like if you could hold context perfectly equal for everyone then just purely looking at that result, because I feel like we still have to have some sort of measurement. We have to have something where we can measure yes. it. And like, if you're looking at film, I understand that can help you have a better way of measuring versus the measurement, but we still have to have some sort of measurement in mind or else we could be looking for signal in things that are actually not important to getting to that wins. Like we want to get to that wins eventually. So let's have some way of measuring if we're getting there, even if it's flawed. And then we work on trying to make it less and less flawed. No. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, I, I would say that I would say that one argument for, for the way that I do things at least is that, I would say that when you when you're watching the film, you're able to see how much credit a quarterback deserve, deserves for creating that environment that may allow him to do things easier. Like Jalen Hurts, I think is a perfect example. It's easy to make an argument that Jalen Hurts is a product of his environment, and you could do that with numbers. I think you could like look at his like pass block win rate for the offensive line. You can look at how much they use schemed up stuff like RPOs. You could see that. AJ Brown is winning contested catches that aren't necessarily thrown with the most accuracy, but I think you really need to watch the film to see the constraints he puts on a defense. Uh, and maybe you can replicate that with like numbers in the box, but it's still, there's still like little things you're missing because like who, who decides who's in the box and who's not, there's like little, little things that you need to watch the film to be able to decide whether like the defense is playing this way or playing this uh, another way. And I think you see that with quarterbacks like him. I think, you can kind of see it with Kirk Cousins this year. Kirk Cousins is like the most fascinating quarterback to me 
I think he's like the perfect quarterback to study for this debate. Fascinating in Kirk Cousins. Are you talking about with the chains? Maybe, but pre-chains, I'm not sure. Not yeah. (laughs) But I think this year it's like a perfect example of like why guys like me push push back against Kirk Cousins and the Jimmy G's. Like the thing that's changed with Kirk Cousins this year, why the stats aren't where they've been when they haven't been this team that's winning 90% of their games is that the early down stuff isn't there. It's just not working at the same level. Like Kirk, his play action EPA is actually pretty bad this year. And the way the offense is kind of moving the ball is just on third down Kirk, like going YOLO ball and throwing it up to uh, Jefferson and it working because Jefferson's a great player. But you also see Kirk's turnover worthy play rate is on the rise now. And then you see the same thing happening in New England where Mac Jones isn't getting the same protections he got last year. And all of a sudden his turnover worthy play rate has gone up. And then you see it in game with Jimmy G our game to game where sometimes when, when it comes down to the 49ers having to pass the ball, that's when we see reckless Jimmy G come out. That's when you see the mistakes. And I, my thing is like, why don't we connect the dots here? Why don't you guys specifically, I'm, I'm talking to you specifically because you are the Jimmy guy. Why don't we connect the dots when like, when we expect Jimmy to be at his worst, why is he always at his worst? I mean, is I guess number one, I would say maybe is he because he's pretty good on third down. So that's like a whole a whole different question. But you no, know, here's what I would say. I think everything you're bringing in is important, right? It's all important. But what what we're always thinking about, and again, it's like we're always thinking about how do you attach that back to something that we can we can measure in a way. And there's been talk about, and I'm sure teams are doing this with some of their analytical staff, yeah. where they look at the scouts and they look at their reports and they try to document everything as closely as possible. And then from there, you can start to get an idea. Because when you see something that is a, you know, an ugly interception, let's say, versus someone taking a sack in a, in a certain situation versus yeah. someone not making the correct read in a situation. You have all these different things. You have feelings and thoughts and experience-based intuition on how important those things are. But yeah. until we can like really bring it back into something that we can measure, then it's difficult to, to, to tell exactly what we're seeing, what it means, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. And I think like the disagreements that the film community and the analytics community have, like we have the same complaints about the other the other side. Like our complaint is that you guys are too stubborn. And your complaint is that we're too stubborn and we never change our takes. And like well, social media doesn't help any of yeah, this. Yeah, and there's examples yeah. on both sides of it. But I also think there's like a fear of not of of putting a number on something that, like you said, is something that our side feels like it's something you have to watch and something you have to feel. And like, you have to, you have to have a baseline knowledge to understand it. But, and then we kind of, I think you guys are scared of, of not having a measurement for those things. Like, like you said, there has to be a measurement. Does there have to be a measurement? I, I don't necessarily. I don't know. It's all about trying to like tie it back to what we're trying to measure generally and how, and how you do that. I mean, let's think about, um, Okay, you have different categories that you break yours. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. I don't know like how precise you're trying to be for this versus how much you're trying to make it uh, user-friendly because you have an interactive yeah. thing with the ringer where people can bring it in, where they can look at. You have accuracy, arm talent, creativity, decision-making, pocket presence, pre-snap. Those are the things in there. You weight those in different amounts, and then boom, you come out with a with a grading we'll ignore the fact that you have lamar jackson for 120 for one of the one of the you're backing into it back, 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 it's an admission the, that the system is flawed 
Okay. Yes. This, yeah, right. So, and then another thing we could point to, and you don't know, as, you probably don't know as much about like PFF grading as I know about PFF grading, but it's another system for trying to yeah. quantify in a similar, not, not a similar sort of way to what you're doing. It's a little bit different sort of way, but yeah. the more I've studied it, the more I've kind of learned about it. And when you say like, why are you trying to tie it back to something? I mean, I'll just mention PFF grading, for instance, like I have beef with PFF grading, which I mentioned plenty of times about different things. One of them, these things is sacks. So PFF grading gives a negative grade to quarterbacks on sacks, maybe like 30% of the time they get, they get a negative grade. Now we know, although it's because it's really hard on one particular play to say it's the quarterback's fault or it's not the quarterback's yeah. fault. Cause so many of them are going to be like 80, 20 situations, 60, 40 situations. And so there are plenty of situations which seem like they're more on the offensive line than on the quarterback that we say it's not the quarterback's fault. But if you accumulate all these different sacks that quarterbacks are taking when it's 20% their fault, 30% their fault, 35% their fault, and you're not dinging them for that at all, then you're getting a misrepresentation of sacks, which are very negative from an expected points added standpoint. Like it doesn't bleed through in the rating. So that would be an instance where I'd say, okay, we have the PFF grading. Let's figure out with EPA per play how we can tie it to something and make it a little bit better. So that, that's kind of how I would look, how I would say, like, you can do things on a film basis, but try to tie them back to something you can measure at the same point in time. Yeah, that's, that's like you said, that's basically what I do. It's a little different, but I, I do think there is a key difference between, like, having a manual where you ha- you're forced to put plays into a bucket and put a number on them, even if yeah. there is that that nuance that you can't account for with a single digit. I think that would, that would be my argument for why I believe my method is, is better than PFFs for grading quarterbacks specifically. Uh, But of course I'm going to be biased. And of course I'm going to think my way is the better way. That's why I chose that way to do it. Right. Okay. So let's, 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 let's get into it now. Let's get into the, the quarterbacks. I think starting with the young guys will probably be helpful. So we'll start with 2019. I don't know. Let, let me look at let me look at 2019 again so I can even remember who, who's in here. For Kyler, like I don't even know what we say about Kyler since he's already got his contract. It's kind of like it's kind of like Arizona. Um well, well, first preface this. So the buckets are like you have who you want, right? You have who you want. Your quarterback is your guy. You're pretty certain of that. Let's say that's one bucket. Another bucket that I'm defining it as um you don't know if you have your guy, so you'd still be willing to spend some material amount of draft capital or free agency capital to bring in another option. And then the third bucket would be like, this guy's just a, you know, he's just, he's just a, he's just holding this place until someone mm-hmm. real is going to take over. And we pretty much know that they're not this, the guy, right? Um, so maybe let's pretend Kyler didn't sign this contract. Like, how would you view Kyler at this point in relation to those buckets? I would still put him in that first bucket. I, I I think he's at least proven that he's good enough in a certain system, in a certain environment that he can play. He can give you like top level production. And I don't yeah. even know if he's had that yet because Cliff's offense is, it hasn't been great for all the reasons. The first that half of last season was out. pretty good. The first half of last season was pretty good. Like there was legit. And I think, somewhat warranted MVP talk uh, at the beginning of last season. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say that like a lot of that, it's always frustrating watching Kyler on film because you can make the argument that, that Cliff is holding him back, but you could also make the argument that Kyler at times is holding Cliff back. Cause he's not like reading plays out as he's supposed to be. And there's, there's, there's like openings. There was a clip from, I guess it's from the, like the in season hard knocks of Hopkins, like 
talking to Murray after playing, like, what were you looking at? I was wide open. And you see that like every week, like we can't ignore the fact that he's, he's small. I know there is some pushback in the analytics yeah. community about that. No high shaming, no high shaming, please. Actually affecting the, the ability of a quarterback to see over the middle. I told, I like, we have quarterbacks on record saying that it does. So I don't know why <laughs> I mean, there is pushback. We don't really, we just need maybe physics. like, we need like line of sights. Like, go on, right. like I don't know. Maybe it's like, it's like that. Make... What's the average height of the analytics community? I think there's a correlation there. I think the R squared might be a little higher than uh, maybe. Eric Eager helps though. Eric Eager helps pump That's that true. up. And so does you got to, you got to hold him out. He's an outlier. Steve Palazzolo, if he doesn't really count though, but he goes in there. Yeah, no, it was like, I saw someone making this argument that like batted passes have nothing to do with how tall you are because short quarterbacks don't get their passes batted. And it's just like, guys, this is when stats go wrong a little bit here. It's just, like let's just think we, we can still use like logic and physics like if your the release point is here it's more likely to get tipped than if it's not now you might be very conscious of that and not attempt to throw it over right, defenders exactly. and that and then if you're tall you attempt to do it more often so then you get your passes batted but to say they they're not related it's a similar sort of thing right it's like we have to we have to realize that we can't just like statify everything um, because there's a selection bias on how quarterbacks decide to play based upon how tall they are. There's, there's uh there's like a, an NFL game they made for that, that like meta VR headset. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've played it in like, sometimes like the height is kind of off. Like sometimes it's like your actual height, the perspective that you actually have. In, but sometimes it's like lower, sometimes it's higher. Yeah. And when it's lower, like you literally cannot see over the middle of the field. <laughs> And when it's higher, you're like, you feel like Justin Herbert, like anything is possible. You could throw anywhere. Like it, it just, it's counterintuitive to, to deny that. And like you said, the prop, like they are seeking out windows to throw, to avoid getting their balls batted because this is how, who they've been their whole life. Like, even if Russ does throw over the middle on occasion, or even if it's like not a line of sight thing, clearly, because there are like screenshots of him, like with a wide open, like the pocket is totally split. There's a guy standing right in front of him. He doesn't throw it to him. But when you're like conditioned to not mm-hmm. look over the middle, you might miss it, even if it's if it's there and not obstructed. Yeah, yeah. Because if you were looking, like if you looked every single time, on average, it might be bad for you because they're just not going right, to be yeah. there most often. So then you'd just be wasting time doing that. Or yeah, or if you're a short quarterback and it's a muddy pocket, you just get the hell out of there a lot of the time versus trying to throw it over the top. That was that was my my argument against the Russ. Like people used to argue, oh, look at his pocket passing stats. They're really yeah. good. How can you say he's not comfortable in the pocket? Well, yeah. if you're only throwing to your first read when he's wide open, your numbers are going to look great. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be good, but yeah, I don't. That's why it's like it's so hard with Kyler because when you watch his film, like the high level play is clear, but there are those little concerns, and then you have to wonder, like, would a better coach uh, mitigate those issues? Like we've seen McDaniel do with Tua. Like Tua is on record saying, "I can't see over the middle of the field because I'm shorter, so I need a window." He said that in a press conference earlier this year. If you watch the Dolphins play, I know a lot of people have made. Uh, a point about the separation, the receiver separation. I think one of the biggest benefits he's getting are the wide open pockets. Like why? And, and I think it's all schematics, which is why, why like the pass blocking grade doesn't look so hot right now. But if you watch the games, like the way they're r- calling play action, the way they're moving the line and like the fakes that they have are, are creating these wide open windows. So Tua can access the middle of the field, which like that's going to be, I'm going to be accused of like trying to take credit away from Tua, but no, it's just good coaching. Yeah, no, I mean, it's weird because I have this thing where I look at their 
survival rates before they see pressures versus when they're throwing the ball and all this sort of stuff on there. And Miami looks fine. Like Miami's offensive line doesn't look, it doesn't look particularly bad. So I think it is interesting that our grading has them as being low. I'm trying to look at ESPN team pass block win rate. Where are they on this? Cause it's another one where number sometimes makes absolutely no sense to me, but they're 21st, especially so. with the RPO type team. Yeah. Cause like literally you're not me- you're measuring pass blocking when the offensive line literally is not pass blocking. Yeah. 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 And there's, yeah, there's definitely something else going on for some of those things, but regardless, they're not like bottom bottom. Okay. But let's, let's get back to Kyler for a second. So, is there just a ceiling now? Is there a ceiling on him? So I guess that would be the question is, A, is there a ceiling? And B, does that ceiling mean that rather than lock yourself into this guy for the next 10 years, that you should sprinkle some draft capital on some other guys just to see if you, you get a lottery ticket? I don't know if there's a ceiling. I think maybe there is a ceiling because of the hype, but there's also yeah. an at, an attic that you could unlock with a coach. Like a coach has the right Ooh, key I like to the it. Attic. I haven't heard and, that one. I'm have to write, I have to steal that one. <laughs> and then I think I just thought of it. This is off the top of my head. Uh, but I think you it, like what's easier finding a quarterback that has that potential or finding a coach who's capable of unlocking it. Like Kevin Stefanski isn't wasn't some like hot. I mean, I guess he was a popular coaching candidate, but he was available. And I think he's that type of coach that could do something like that. We saw him do it for Baker. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it's also, um, yeah, we just don't know sometimes like the, the coaching thing, a coaching thing is another thing that I'll push back a little bit on versus, you know, Cliff is probably bad, right. You know, he's, he's probably bad, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe it would be, it would be a definitely an interesting experiment to see someone else with, with Kyler just to see how much maybe maybe Kyler really likes making these horizontal throws though. Yeah, also it's possible. I, I think, I think Cliff is good in ways that don't necessarily benefit Kyler in the mm-hmm. drop back passing game. Like the, the run game I do think is very well designed. Like Cliff would make a great run game coordinator. I just, I just don't know what you're trading for that. And I don't know if that's the most valuable thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So let's, let's move on down here. And, um, Daniel Jones. So you were like, you're not like, it wasn't Geno Smith territory here as far as pumping up Daniel Jones. It was more like, Hey guys, maybe he's not terrible. Like how everyone thinks is kind of how I would sort of like, he's got some good things going on. He's got some good things buried underneath there. This season, the rushing stuff came into play, um, which has been a big contributor to what he's done. And he's been okay. I think outside of that, I don't know how you would have view him this season. Like, have you seen anything new from him this season outside of the running that makes you more or less confident? Would Which bucket would you kind of put him in at this point? Uh, I think he's in that second bucket still. I'm not, I don't think he's in. He's definitely not in the first one. And I definitely yeah. I think he's definitely not in the third one because I think he can. He's a useful player. I think that's what he's proven this year is he's useful. And. I kind of put him in the same bucket as like a Ryan Tannehill type quarterback. I know Tannehill doesn't leverage his athleticism as much as he should. Like you look at Tannehill scramble success rates and they're really good, but he just doesn't do it a lot. And he takes a lot of sacks instead. I I put Daniel Jones in there, but I think that Daniel Jones, like the improvement has come from, I don't think he's as oblivious in the pocket as he once was. And I don't think he's throwing down. yeah. yeah, that's that's a big thing. And he's not throwing as many as of the interceptions or the dangerous balls. And I think that was always the thing with him is you'd watch him down to down and it was like, OK, I could see the the bones of a good quarterback here. But then he would do a dumb thing. 
Yeah. Uh, one time I tweeted, I think it was like on an opener when they played on Monday night. And like he had like this great drive that got down to the red zone and everyone was like, oh, Daniel Jones. It was week one. So everyone was like, oh, Daniel Jones. And I was like, don't don't tweet until after the drive is over. And sure enough, the next play, he like threw the dumbest interception you could possibly throw. And I think he's he's eliminated that from his game. And there were signs of it last year, but I didn't know if that was like him playing in a conservative offense with Jason Garrett, where like it kind of beats that into you. But this year we're we're seeing it continue and we've seen other negative plays start to go down, start to disappear. And that's where I give him the most credit. And I still and I think that allows like the the gifts to kind of be highlighted more, the running ability, the willingness to hang, uh, hang in the pocket and throw it downfield in the face of pressure. I think those are two two things you could build an offense around if you have the right pieces or the right coaching staff. And I know they're not like scoring a bunch of points, but they're doing enough to win games week to week. And I think Daniel Jones allows Dayball to kind of craft these these game plans that I think are built to win in that one week. Okay, and okay, well, let's, let's, I know this is not necessarily the point of the exercise to really look at the the practical sort of stuff here, but no fifth year option for right. for Jones. So I don't know what would you be thinking for the Giants here because you'd have to kind of make a decision on a franchise tag before you know what's going to happen in the draft, all that stuff. I think like in a vacuum, the franchise tag is like a move that everyone would laugh at because what is the, what is it going to be like $30 million to Daniel Jones? But when you like look at where they are with their cap and like, it's a one year thing, it's not a commitment. I I think it makes some sense. I do think they should at least explore other avenues, maybe like inquire about some quarterbacks that might be available. Maybe a Derek Carr, maybe an Aaron Rodgers. I I need to look at his contract, but I would at least like, look around but th- while also holding that door open yeah yeah it's interesting like the car i guess what we can discuss maybe a little bit of the Derek car so i do think car is going to be moved although i see him more like tampa bay jets, jets or something like tampa that bay. i don't know yeah yeah um okay so there's not really anyone else i don't think from the 2019 Drew lock erasure class i don't know will one bad game one bad game for Gino first round know. prospect what one, one bad game one bad game from gino and you'll have pete talking about drew lock again i don't know why what's <laughs> wrong with this guy um okay let's for for the sake of brevity we'll we'll skip uh we'll skip drew lock uh i assume we do not need to talk about joe burrow or justin herbert so let's just get right in let's get let's, i gotta play my two a theme Get right into Tua. Tua and on here is going to want to play number one PFF grading, number one early downs, number one late downs, good under pressure, good from a clean pocket, tearing up the league. Which bucket do you place Tua in at this point in his career? He's, the, he's in the second bucket. He's in the second, second bucket. bucket. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bowing down to two. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not happening yet. This you have not... been moving him up, though. I, I give you credit because the way your mentions were going and you were fighting around with people, I assumed that you hadn't moved him up as far as you had because he started 23rd in a ranking where I don't know how many guys you have in there, like 34, 36. Yeah, it was like 35 like to start the seasons. Guys yeah, have come yeah. and gone. Yeah. Yeah. So it was on the low side. I'll give you that. So he's up to 12 now, which you know, still is not high enough for anyone there. So I guess 
when we talk about this exercise, like that I was saying on an ideal sort of exercise, if you place him with all these different teams and all these different places, different circumstances and scenarios, like what sort of performance do you think you would really get from him? Are you bowing to the crowd at all by even putting him at 12? And do you think he's more like league average ish on if you put him in a bunch of different places? No, I like part of the, the exercise is to like, if I was making these, these rankings in a vacuum, I, he would not be 12. He would, yeah. he would be higher than he was when he started, but he would not be 12th. He would be like 17th, 18th. Okay. But I do like factor in how they're playing, like their form, the form that they're in, because otherwise the rankings wouldn't change every week and it would be just totally boring and there'd be no reason to do them. But uh, no, I'm not bowing down. And here's my thing. Like he's better than I thought he was going to be. Like when you watch the film from late last year, he was God all like there was bad. It was bad film. The Titans game was like some of the worst film and it was hard to see how he had a chance. So I will say this. He has improved in that area. Like he's way better than I gave him credit for. I think I called him useless in the offseason. It is clear that he is not useless. You could build. I'm sure it was problem. documented if you did call him useless. I'm sure it's been yeah, documented and sent couple... back to you in various yes. forms. <laughs> but I'm not. Yeah, that's the thing is like I put him at 12. He's the 12th best quarterback. If you would have told Dolphins fans before that, I think they would have taken it. Now it's like, no, you have to call him elite. He's a top five quarterback. Look at his numbers. How can you say this? And my question is like, have we seen him have to resort to a plan B? I do think that I did not give him enough credit for the RPO stuff, the quick release, the accuracy, which I think is a tad overrated. Uh, Tyreek Hill disagrees, but go ahead. <laughs> he's the one that's that's getting hurt by it the most. I, I don't understand. But uh, and by the way, the audacity of Tua after that one game where he was like, "Oh, the deep balls a lot better." After he like underthrew two deep balls in the game was. We, does he know we watch the film? Like we could see, we could see the that's throws. it. He he's drawing those DPIs. Okay, very. Va- it's more valuable than than even throwing it accurately because there's no drop potential. Go ahead. But we haven't seen them. We haven't seen like the defense adjust yet, and that's what I'm waiting for. When the defense adjusts and the offense has to adjust, and they can no longer do the things that we know Tua is really good at the RPO stuff. He is really good at. I'm not taking credit away from him, but eventually there's going to be an adjustment. There always is. There always is. And that, I think that's when you figure out whether one these quarterbacks that break out and have these big years in these ideal environments, whether they're real or not. Like we've seen, just, uh, we've seen Pat Mahomes adjust. We've seen Josh Allen adjust. I think we've seen Lamar Jackson adjust. We haven't seen uh, Tua adjust. To be fair to him, he has not had the opportunity. I just don't see anything in his skill set that su- suggests if the pockets are a little tighter, the windows are a little tighter. The middle of the field isn't as accessible as it has been, and he has to throw outside the numbers. What does it look like then? If there was like evidence on tape that he was the quarterback that could do that, I think I would be more inclined to rank him in the top 10. But until I see that on film, I'm going to keep him outside of the top 10. Okay, so this – I mean this – Two is like a great jumping off point for a bunch of different discussions, whether we you like you mentioned like Jimmy G would have been another guy, but you know, he's, he's, he's a little bit on the, he's got a few gray hairs at this point. So he's, we're not really discussing him as part of this, but there's like a different categories I want to discuss with you and how we think about analysis, because you mentioned like the ability to adjust. And I do think like maybe what separates like the elite elite from other guys is uh, for instance, I was doing this work on, um, quarterback prospect stuff. And I started to notice more and more that while we had probably 
incorrectly discounted pressure play in the past because it's unstable. But the reality is like, it does give us some signal into being able to do something that other quarterbacks can't do in a way, right? It does maybe gives us more, you lose stability, but if you can only perform well under a clean pocket, then who cares? Like you're not necessarily, it's going to be much more difficult at the next level. So in a similar sort of way, we talk about traits and now traits are a huge thing, right? Traits are a huge thing with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, like if you don't have necessarily those sorts of traits and maybe if you don't have the ability to adjust in a a particular play or in a particular scheme, if you execute the, the type of plays that do not require that adjustment, that maybe don't require that big arm, that don't require this extraordinary level of athleticism, something like that, if you can execute those so well, like can that make up or mitigate that downside enough where maybe those guys are being underrated because they can do it so well at that level? I mean, I think that's certainly possible. Like one of my favorite things that I get, one of my favorite replies I get is that people accuse my rankings of being subjective and biased. And I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. They're subjective and they're biased. They're based on my opinion. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's like uh, two of the God 6969 telling you that you're, <laughs> that you're biased against Tua. No, no. It's just like, yeah, that's the, that's the point of the rankings is that they are yeah. biased. And I probably have a bias against those quarterbacks and don't appreciate that skill enough. I just see it as more replaceable. And I think that the quarterbacks who are in those offenses just are able to do it more often. So it looks like they're better at doing it. I don't, okay. I don't like, I think the, the, I think Cooper rush versus Dak Prescott and how that offense looked and how people talked about those quarterbacks this year is a perfect example of that. Like the Cowboys are asking Dak to do things that are harder, how smart that is. I, I can't tell you, but he has a harder degree of difficulty than Cooper rush did because of the play calling. Like that was just built in. And I think there's like a, a mindset for coaches when they have a, a guy like, like Dak Prescott, who is a processor, a post snap processor. And then they have a guy like Jimmy G who's a little more limited. If you ask him to think too much after the snap, I, I feel like coaches are going to take advantage of that Dak Prescott type quarterback a little too much. They're going to push it a little too far and ask a little too much of them where they should make things easier on their quarterback. I, I don't see why that's, I see why like I push back against it when I'm trying to compare Jimmy G to a Aaron Rodgers, for instance, although Aaron Rodgers is, I think he's, he needs to be put in one of those offenses now. Yeah. He's watching. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I, I just don't think you can win in the playoffs with those guys. Like things that's, that's one thing that I will say that I think the analytics community gets wrong is that okay. they have a lot of takes that are trained on a certain, certain conditions, like a certain window. They looked at the league over a certain period of time. And those were like the rules of engagement for the league at that time. But the rules change like play action was so successful because everyone was playing cover three. Now all of a sudden play action hasn't been, as successful as it has been in the past because we're seeing different coverages. We're seeing coverages that take that away. And now you're kind of seeing the play action quarterbacks that have been so good are productive, at least in the past outside of Jimmy G struggle. Like Kirk cousins, numbers are down. Mac Jones's numbers are down. Uh, Baker Mayfield isn't even a viable starter anymore. When he was like talked about as a top 10 possible top 10 quarterback, just two years ago, I think like, the environment change and like what you need out of a quarterback changes. So the guys with one limited skill set, they, that, that's why you don't trust them. Whereas a Pat Mahomes, 
guess what? He's going to be good in, in any environment. It doesn't matter if you're a play-action heavy team, you're a drop-back team, you're throwing it downfield, you're throwing it short, quick game, RPO, screen pass. He's going to do it all well. Whereas like a Kirk Cousins type, if you're not, you're not winning with play-action, he's going to be a mediocre quarterback. And what has he been this year when they're not winning on play-action, even though the run game is still there? A mediocre quarterback. And I think where Kyle comes in is that his scheme just necessitates those types of coverages. Like you're, Jimmy G's always going to throw against cover three because he's he's with Kyle Shanahan, and I think that's like that's one point where I like Ben Baldwin sent out a tweet like uh, oh I keep bringing him up he's he's my arch nemesis, but yeah. he sent out a tweet and he was like oh like everyone talks about the 49ers run game well actually like by EPA it's pretty bad it's not the run game and its performance it's what the run game sets up with the passing game like teams have to play one high against. Those formations. Are you about to make? Are you about to make a? It's it's the number of attempts, not the yards that you're gaining. Um, take? No, it's like the presentation. <laughs> it's the presentation. Like that. I okay, think... okay. We're, we're we're getting down a little bit of a Jimmy G. Like uh, Ben Baldwin. This is Baldwin. your fault. This is Ben Baldwin rabbit hole. Well, look, let me. I, I want to go back to one thing though, because I do think this is an interesting discussion, which may not even be like exactly on topic of what we're talking about, but I think it hints into what you're talking. When you said you can't win with those guys in the playoffs, right? Yeah. I think that's interesting because. As a fan of the NBA also, I don't know. I think you can't win with these guys in the playoffs for the NFL. It's true somewhat if you don't have elite play, putting together a streak of X number of victories against what more often than not will be better defenses is more difficult. But that's kind of like what we know. Like that's that's not that different. I guess I don't see as big of a difference between regular season and postseason play in the NFL as I do in the NBA. In the NBA, you have 82 games. Um, guess what? Guys are not putting in full effort every every single night. Defenses get a lot tighter. The rotations shorten a lot in the postseason. Um, referees swallow their whistle a lot more in the postseason. You have a lot more isolation play that you need to make. Versus, I think that's anyway. true for the for the NFL too. The the, the... I don't see. I don't think it's to the same degree just because I feel like every week is just a big deal in the NFL. Maybe it's true a little bit like swallow the whistle ness. I think think the past, I don't think it's as big of a difference as it is in the NFL. You don't think, like, I think defensive holding is is called totally different, is like totally different in the postseason, in my opinion. And that's anecdotal. There could be numbers that scoring a lot of points. So. I mean, it might be a little bit. I'm not saying it's not a little bit, but I think it's different than the NBA just because there's so many structural reasons that guys are taking days off and not playing that hard during the regular season where you can't do that. You can't do that in a six, in a 17 game uh, regular season. So I guess that's maybe a little bit on the playoff discussion. I'm not quite as sure at, and then it just comes down to like, we have lots, I think we have more examples where you can point to, you know, wash Peyton Manning, winning a super bowl, Nick Foles, winning a super bowl, um, you know, Trent Dilfer winning a Super Bowl, all these examples where you're not really going to find that many examples of an NBA team that's not going to have like a dominant superstar who's winning an, M- an NBA championship. So for that reason also, I mean, that's a function of a seven-game series too. Um, I don't know. I think you definitely can win with those guys. It's just trying, like, again, it's one of those things where you're turning a binary statement of you can't win in the playoffs with those guys into, no, yeah. does it lower your success rate low enough that it's not worth, sticking with them versus blowing it up into someone else but it's starting uh, well, over i mean yeah i don't actually mean that it's impossible to win with those guys it's it, like it's a slogan that is meant to like i don't know there's nuance to it you guys deal with the same things with running backs don't matter like <laughs> yeah, yes you can win with those guys trent dilfer won a super bowl did he have a historically dominant defense 
Yes. Did they win like a bunch of games with, and they didn't score a touchdown for two months during the regular season? Also, yes. Like it's possible. The thing is, football, for especially for quarterbacks, I think, is a lot easier when you're able to do the things that you want to do as a football team, as a play caller. You're able to call the plays that you want to play on, uh, call on offense. When you're playing against better teams, they don't give you those opportunities as much as like a bad team. So I think there are viable regular season approaches to winning a lot of games. Like having a strong run game, I do think in a strong play action game is going to help you win a lot of regular season games. Cause there are, you're going to play some mediocre teams. You're going to play some bad teams that you could just dominate. But when you play against better competition, they are more likely to put you in situations in, that you don't want to be in and take away play calls that you, you want to go to. And I think that's why Bill Belichick has had so much success and we've seen his game plans work so much. Like what's the, the Belichick thing. He takes away the best, the thing you're best at. I think that happens more often in the playoffs. Whereas if you're playing like the the Texans, they're not going to take away anything, and you could do any offense, call any offense you want to call. And, but I think it changes in the playoffs. I do. I don't think it's. I, I do agree that the NBA is different, and performing in the playoffs in the NBA as an individual means more than it does in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the difference here, it's not a different sport. It's just the level of competition changes the math for quarterbacks and play callers. Okay. One, one other thing I wanted to get to, and this is related, but not quite the, the same thing. So I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think you may have had like a take about, you know, like traits being maybe more important than ever sort of thing. So maybe this is like old school versus new school. Cause I was, I did this series over the summer where I was looking at purely statistical manner. Cause I was, scraping all this data from pro football reference and like value added over average and a career ranking and a peak and this for all these different, all these different quarterbacks. So what I couldn't help but thinking though, when I was looking at the guys who are near the top, even to some degree, if we're talking about Brady and Peyton Manning and some of those guys to some, some degree, even those guys, but if you're looking at, you know, Roger Staubach was near the the top um, Joe Montana, maybe to some degree, like I couldn't help but thinking if these same players were in the game today, Maybe people, maybe even you, you know, Joe Montana, would be like, this guy, he just, he's not a, he's not an elite quarterback, you know, he just can't do these things that he can't do. So like, how much is the, of that is true as the game changed and that would be true? Or am I missing something where you could look at someone like a Joe Montana and have put them in that same bucket that you would put uh, a Mahomes or a Herbert or someone else as being a truly elite guy nowadays? I mean, I don't, I didn't watch Joe Montana play, so I can't tell you if any, like he was the, he was the original system quarterback, just based right. on well, that's the thing. knowledge. Like, like, like no one else was literally, no one else was running this system. Everyone came in and did pretty well. I mean, Elvis Gerbach, maybe not so great, but he still, he came in and even goes as far as like, um, Mina Kimes, his buddy, um, Jeff Garcia, right? Like it, it, even, even he comes in and looks pretty good eventually right. in that, in that same system. But, uh, I do think things change. I think, like I said, like environments change, the league changes. What, what is good then isn't good now. Like athleticism at the quarterback position, like Randall Cunningham was, it it was a factor for him, but it wasn't like they built the offense around it. And, but if he played now, I think he would be a much better player. I think the same thing applies. And I would put, I push back against the notion that Peyton Manning was this like schlubby 
no talent prospect. The man was like the number one prospect from the time he was in middle I, school. I, I, well, I per- I caveated on purpose because I don't know what people are talking about. Obviously, he was number one pick overall, so it wasn't like he was schlubby yeah, or anything like that. But, but I don't know. He didn't have the strongest arm. He obviously was not athletic at all. So I'm just saying someone would have a take. Trust the me. man could so, throw a football as well as anyone in in. Someone would have a we've take. ever seen. I know, but I, that, it's just a bad yeah. take. Like Drew Brees is, is seen as this like unathletic, weak armed quarterback because he was that for the last five years when the saints were at their peak on offense he was bombing the ball downfield he was throwing like 18 interceptions a game like people have this in a dome in a dome mind you but go ahead yeah but he was still he he was he was throwing yolo it wasn't yolo balls but he was throwing a lot of interceptions because he was had this like cavalier playing style and then he changed as his his physical skill set changed and now everyone when they think of drew Brees, they think of what we saw over the last three years that was not him at his peak Tom yeah. Brady is still throwing dimes downfield at age 45. I question how he's still able to yeah, do that when he wasn't yeah, doing it when he was doing. 22. We don't know what he's doing. You could fill in the blanks there. Trust me, but, avocados are not doing that much. <laughs> but like, and then the same thing with Peyton Manning. Like Peyton Manning, the Peyton Manning that won a Super Bowl in 2015 was not the Peyton Manning we saw in like 20 or t- 2004, 2005. I, I think these quarterbacks were physically talented just in different ways. And in, in ways that the league was able to take advantage of back then, whereas they weren't able to take advantage of a, a mobile quarterback like they are now. They don't have like the tools and the concepts to do that. And now they do. And now you're seeing how superior that skill set is. It, I mean, it just makes sense. Having more skills is better. I, it, like being able to throw and run is just better. It's inherently better. And being able to run does not take away your ability to throw a pass. I don't know why there's even a pushback against mobile quarterbacks, but there does seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, I mean, maybe there's an issue of sustainability of, of, of production. Um, I don't know. I guess we haven't seen necessarily someone run the ball 150 times eight, nine, 10 years into their career. So we don't know if that's necessarily yeah. a possibility. So, so maybe that's part of it. Um, Cam Newton is need- like the one example and like, yes, Cam Newton's body fell apart, but they also use Cam Newton in a very unique way. This isn't how like the Eagles are using Hertz or the Ravens. Oh yeah. Are yeah. Using, yeah. Like he was, he was a, a fullback at the goal line and it worked. Like you could see why they did it, but I would, I would argue, yes, that was bad for his long-term outlook, but in the short term, they got the most out of him. But this is totally now, – now, now I'm jumping off. Well, actually, I'll, I'll get to him eventually. I was going to mention something about Justin Fields, but we'll, we'll get to him eventually. we got to get off of Tua, though, because I knew this was going to be too long here. So let's go down the list here. Um, Jordan Love. <laughs> you want to talk Jordan Love? That's okay. Um, <laughs> Jalen Hurts. Okay, so Jalen Hurts. This would be another guy. Maybe the sustainability kind of falls into which, – which bucket are you – are we putting him in the – are we allowing him to be in the first bucket or not quite yet? Uh... Ask me Between after the one season. And two? Yeah, he's one and two. He's on the borderline. I, I think I give him more credit than I do Tua. Yeah, even though it, yeah, I think it, that's fair. I think even though fair. it looks, I feel like it looks better with Tua, but that goes back to the thing where I think Hurts, yes, he has this great supporting cast around him, but he like elevates the supporting cast by being a run threat, like a legitimate run threat. It it's prevents the defense from calling certain plays that make it harder for the players around him. Like he makes the job of AJ Brown easier, even if AJ Brown is making his job easier. I, I think that's certainly true for Tua, just not to the extent that it's true for Jalen Hurts. And then he has like this, like a deep ball. Yeah, this deep ball is really good. 
so you have a deep ball and you have this ability to create out of structure and you could be a part of the run game. Like it's very easy to build an offense out of that, no matter what pieces you have around them. As we saw last year when they were what, like 11th in DVOA on offense, despite like no one was saying, Oh, look at all this talent they have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line has always been pretty good, but yeah, for the rest of the stuff, not quite so much. Not a fan of the windup though. He's got a little bit of windup going on. Um, Let me see who else. Okay. I don't think we got anything else here. So let's, let's, let's skip forward here to 2021 and okay here we go so this is going to be the interesting discussion here i want to start with fields because from what we've seen from him recently i saw some rumbling and i can't tell whether or not are you actually on the side of having to quell some of the excitement about justin fields here or okay you are on that on that ticket because that's maybe some of the rushing sustainability thing like you know, he's not going to run for a 60 yard touchdown every week. Right. Um, that, that sort of thing. But how do we think about his sustainability? Cause he wasn't even that much of a rusher in college and yeah. outside of the rushing, I think the passing has been improved. The sack taking has been slightly better, but I don't know if we're seeing enough on that side for me to, for me to be very confident. Yeah. I, that goes back to the, what's your plan B question. I don't think yeah. he's proven that he has a plan B like his plan a is very good. And I did not expect this was not the scouting report. Everyone that touted yes. him, including me, I touted him before the draft, was not saying yeah. he's going to be the next, next Michael Vick. Right. It was, oh, he's a pro- he can process, he's accurate, he's super accurate, he's a pocket passer, plus he's athletic. And none of that stuff has come, come true. And he's wholly reliant on this, this running ability right now. And I would argue that a lot of this success comes down to how defenses are defending the option. Like the Lions – that was one of the worst option defenses I've seen in a long time. It looked like 2010, 2011, when, when Cam Newton first started doing it, when, when uh, RG3 first started doing it. They had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. I think that there's Kaepernick was like running wild against the Packers. The it playoffs. looked just like yeah. that. Like he, yeah. he, he beat one safety and it was a 60 yard touchdown. He is very yeah. fast, very athletic. He's a special mover. That's something you could build an offense around as we're seeing in Chicago. That's part of the reason why I argue like traits are more important because you're able to craft an offense around that, that talent more than you were in the past. Uh, And I also think it like raises his ceiling because now he's viable, like playing him is viable. He can get that on field experience that he wouldn't get if he wasn't a runner. And he was this, this raw of a passer, he would never get that on field experience where he can improve as a passer. I think that's what the run game, the being able to run provides him. But when you watch like the drop back passing game, there's nothing there. Like there's, it's ugly. It's, it's, it's Zach Wilson bad. Okay, I, I don't know what else to part say part. about it. Like he's missing <laughs> throws. He's not making throws. I, he's, he's, he takes forever he's, in the pocket. He's like, he's got like red zone inflation. Okay. Because he's like, you see these red zone plays from well, not this week as much as last week. And then you look at the box score and you're like 4.4 yards per attempt. Like what the hell happened back there? <laughs> we weren't seeing any of that. We weren't seeing any of that stuff going on that play that he had on the goal line last week. I feel like that's a typical, you mean the red zone where, channel, right? Like not yeah, the red zone channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like um, the play he had on the goal line last week, where I think it was third and one and they're running like a little bit of a pick, whatever the D the d- defensive backs, they switch. So they played it correctly, but he still probably could have gotten it to Mooney. And at worst, Mooney would have been tackled on the half yard line or something like that, but he didn't, he held it. He went back, he had a guy draped all over him 
he shrugged him off. He ran it around into the end zone. It's like, that is a bad play, even for Justin Fields, like 85% of the time. It ends in disaster, but it didn't on that play. But it's those sorts of plays that, like, I'm seeing something and I'm like, ah, that looks like it's, it's going to be a disaster more times than not. But yet you see it on red zone and people lose their fucking minds. Yeah, and I get pushback for this, uh, like within, like within the the, the famed group chat. Who is oh, very, yeah. they're very proud. Did Fields. they start a second group chat where they don't have to listen to you anymore? Yeah, me and Seth aren't in it, and we were left out because we think Justin Fields is bad. Uh, but I get pushback because I'm like I touted Malik Willis, and I I was the guy. I was like, we're post processing when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. Yeah. My thing, my answer to that is that only applies to college prospects. Yeah, when we're talking about Malik Willis. I don't know, man. <laughs> I was shocked by some people who watched the preseason and thought I heard some I heard some takes like he was better than they expected. And I was like, I don't know. He was OK the last preseason game, but it was so bad early in those yeah. games. Like it was uh, he, he'll really test your theory. He's really going to test your theory. About that's the, yeah, that was the, that's the, the <laughs> article I wrote is he's going to test this theory. I, I, I wasn't touting him as like a, a slam dunk prospect. I think he was a guy that he's it's worth taking a chance on him. Like okay, it's yeah. worth taking a chance on him more than it is taking a chance on Kenny Pickett, for instance. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with I agree with you there. Okay, so for back to Fields, wrap up the Fields talk. So unless like going forward on Fields, obviously he's going to be they're going to have a pretty good draft pick. It looks like um, he's going to be he's going to have extra picks. He's going to be entering the third year. Um, I don't know whether to believe like the noise out there, but there was some noise that Ryan Poles maybe was not really sold on him. And that's why they didn't build around him. Let's let's, we can discount maybe some of that going forward, but how would you approach fields then? We're not, you know, using a draft pick in the first round or maybe the second round, um, on a quarterback here, but how would you approach the whole situation with him knowing you've got a couple more years left, uh, basically one year before you have to decide what you're going to do with the fifth year option. I would say like, take the same approach that Philly took. I know it's different because they had signed Wentz to an extension, but bring mm-hmm. in competition doesn't have to be on first day. You don't, have, you don't have to go out of your way to bring it in, but like a second a day two pick a guy that could conceivably be a starter someday, I think is, is worth bringing in. Uh, they have extra draft capital. Now I, I actually don't know the state of the draft capital. I know they traded for chase Claypool, but I, I assume they do. So yeah. uh, why not spend a pick on a quarterback and bring him in? I think fields has proven that, he deserves a longer leash and deserves maybe another year just to show off some development. Uh, but I think you have to get out ahead of this just so you're not like out in the cold if he's bad next year. Yeah, no, agree. Well, we'll see, we'll see what they do there. Okay, let's get to Trevor since, you know, um, he's either a massive disappointment or um, actually, I don't know how, how high people are on him right now. So you have Trevor, where let me say, I, I got to check in to see where, where you got him at this point. You have him at 14, which is actually not, he was as high as nine before, according to, to your rankings. What's interesting is that when I just purely numbers based and squish them together between grading and EPA per play, I think he comes out to 10 so far this year so pretty close is i think people have not really appreciated how efficient he's been this year because maybe he's like the reverse red zone guy like he has some pretty bad plays that are getting shared a lot and they have been bad don't don't get me wrong they've been like horribly timed interceptions for instance and but he's not throwing a lot of interceptions and he's had some horribly timed or looking sacks where he has been taking a lot of sacks so how do we think about him because you still have those two big negatives which at least this year 
has prevented them from winning games that were that were pretty winnable for for the team. Yeah, I think uh, I probably overreacted two weeks ago when I dropped him out of the top ten, and I dropped him like really low. I think it was like sixteenth, seventeenth, maybe, uh, because of like the the red red zone decisions. They were poorly timed, and it, it's not like a problem. Well, that was after London. The- That's after he threw the interception on the one yard line, or no? Yeah, yeah, to Justin Simmons. Uh, and I and there are misses. Like the inaccuracy is a valid concern. I think there right. there was there is like a Jameis thing with him where Jameis was on the fence where you watch the film and there's a bunch of high-level play, but there's these mistakes that break them up, break up the high-level play. And it's like, is he going to eliminate those mistakes or is he not? And I don't think we could just assume that he will. But Trevor is so, like, fundamentally sound when it comes to all the other things. Like, Jameis didn't have the avoiding sacks thing like Trevor does. So that gives me reason to believe that it will improve and that he is capable of eliminating those plays from his game. And we've seen it over two weeks. I need to see more of a sample size before I declare him a good red zone decision maker, an accurate quarterback. But when you, yeah, I, I do agree that it's the red zone effect. I said this on a pod on a ringer pod, like two weeks ago, like no one is watching Jacksonville games outside of when they pop up on red zone. And if that's your, your exposure to Justin or to uh, Trevor Lawrence, you're going to think he's like the worst quarterback you've ever seen because he's been the worst red zone quarterback in the NFL almost. But outside of that, in between the 20s, he's been one of the better quarterbacks. And I still like to answer your question about whether people are high or low on him. Every week I get people uh, replying to me on Twitter saying, oh, I thought just uh, Trevor Lawrence was going to be a top 10 quarterback this year because I said it on a pod in August. By EPA and like success rate, he is a top 10 quarterback. So I think like, yeah, the I mean, bar is a little too high for him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough whether you're really going to put him in that that category already or not. I mean, I think, again, this is probably like a selling point for expected points, expected points added. So now you can you can like it when it when it like, for instance, he's added EPA on the ground, but he doesn't do it in a way that necessarily looks that great. Like he converts yeah. third and ones or fourth and ones. Or goal line carries where it's kind of like, okay, you know, he did that, uh, but he only gained three yards, but it's a very important three yards in the context of like where you're playing and what you're doing on those sort of plays. So I think there's been that they failed on a lot of key fourth downs that he's been involved in. So I think that's hurt him. Um, I wonder if you feel like you get any signal from the fact that as a team, they're passing it's only, I thought it'd be I thought it'd be more under expectation than it is, but they're passing slightly under expectation. But if you look on a week by week basis in recent weeks, they've had some times where they've been like four five, six percent under expectation and they're running the ball pretty effectively and running it a lot. Do you think there's any signal there from Doug Peterson, a guy you'd assume wouldn't mind passing the ball is maybe not you know super comfortable with putting it in his hands at this point? Or is that just being smart as a coach? I think it's just being smart and like keeping him. I. <laughs> I don't know. I, I sometimes think that coaches have it backwards when they're when they think about protecting a quarterback, because like, what's the first thing you think about? Like an old school coach thinking how to protect a quarterback. It's like going run, run on yeah, early yeah. downs. But then yeah. now his only his pass attempts come in these like terrible situations where it's like third and eight. So I, I think that's that's part of it. And they they did have James Robinson, who I know that coaching staff thought very highly of. They have Etienne, who's playing really well so i don't know i think it's just like some old school thinking about like where are our strengths and downfield passing which is what you see on early downs for the most part uh if you're not seeing quick game 
is not necessarily a strength of this receiving core. They don't have guys that can stretch the field and win downfield. Like Marvin Jones is their guy, and he <laughs> hasn't won a contested catch since like 2019. So I, I think it's just like personnel that's uh, influencing those decisions. I don't know if it's necessarily the right way to do it, but I could see the thinking behind it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also somewhat of the case with the Chargers is they have a personnel issue when it comes to yeah. not having guys who can get open. You think? Down the field. <laughs> down the field. Well, you know, because everyone hates Lombardi so much. And I think there's something to that. But I think there's also a, definitely a, a personnel yeah. issue issue too. Okay, so for Mac Jones and Zach, I'm assuming you're just willing to to move on from those guys at all. Or have you refined at all? Maybe for Zach Wilson, Mac has just been so bad that I don't. I don't know if we even really need to talk about it that much, because um, he doesn't. Because I can kind of. Everyone knows how that conversation is going to play out. Is there anything surprising about Zach Wilson? How are you going to look at Zach Wilson this year? Uh, no. <laughs> like no? I'm surprised okay. that there's not more out of structure production. Yeah, like getting, yeah or, like, or, and that's his thing. There's none. I mean, whatsoever. he had a couple of good games at least. I mean, he had like zero before, so at least it's like he's had a couple of okay games, I guess. Um, but that's yeah, like like you watch the Bills game and you watch the play calling, and this is please don't fuck this up. We're gonna do whatever yeah. it takes for you not to mess this up. We're not going like it's RPO, it's it's screen passes, it's quick game where he only really has uh, one read on early downs, they did not put him in drop back passing situations. They did not ask him to take like a three-step drop and read out the defense and give her to the ball. And he still managed to find a way to turn over the football and cost them three points. So he, when he's like running around, he's like very close to almost like a Patrick Mahomes and his escapability and everything else and how he's moving around. And then the minute the ball leaves his hand, the exact opposite happens. Like yeah. the exact, whatever, whatever you're hoping for with Patrick Mahomes, like the exact opposite happens. You That ball is going to the defender. It's going in some weird location. It's doing who knows what, when it comes I was, to I was texting uh, with someone. I'm not going to put their name out there because I don't want Jets fans attacking them, but they were saying he's like a magician where like the payoff never works out like he sets up the the trick but then there's no trick yeah it's like a dead rabbit that he's pulling out or something it's like on arrested development there was like that bit where Job would like shoot out the the lighter fluid but the flame like he was supposed to be a flame coming out of his sleeve and he'd be like but where the lighter fluid come from that's zach wilson (laughs) yeah yeah it's not good it's not okay so you're the jets uh we're on what year three for joe douglas yeah year three for joe douglas year two for Robert Sala, they seem to me primed maybe more than most teams to rather than say we're going to draft a guy is maybe to go after like a Derek Carr type of guy, assuming their defense is going to be as good, which could be a mistake, honestly, to assume all these things will be as good. Um, Would you endorse that type of approach? Uh, Yeah, I think you have to go for it. And I I get your your point of view on that like the defense probably isn't going to be as good but like this is the window you have this is the roster you have you have to let me yeah you're probably going to be fired anyway after if you don't don't like if you're the chiefs if you're the chiefs you don't have to force it force a move but if you're the jets like yeah you have to take advantage of your opportunities when they come up because they don't come up often and but yeah i think you have to move on i i like maybe it changes over the last half of the season but right now if it stays like this even if they're winning I don't see how you go into the offseason thinking we're set at quarterback. I know Robert Sala is like on record saying like he's doing things that we need him to do to win, but we have eyes. We watch the film. That is not true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 I think we know that. Okay. Let's say next season car is available. I guess it would be 
via trade. It's not like, so he's going to be available via trade. Cousins could be available. He could be cut. Maybe it's, it might be hard with the record the way it is, but I still don't think Vikings fans, unless they make it to the Super Bowl or something, I still think Vikings fans will be able to say, fine, it's okay if he's gone. Uh, Jimmy G will be available. Um, I'm trying to think of who else maybe. Let's say those three guys. Who would you want to have of those three guys if you're the Jets? I mean, I think Jimmy G makes the most sense. I don't think he's the best quarterback, but I think he would he would be cheaper than Derek Carr, who I think like in a vacuum is a better quarterback. And then you just yeah. add in the LaFleur connection, him being in San Francisco. It's the same system. We know Jimmy can operate the system. And then they have the same setup where they have this great defense. Potentially they have a good run game. They could do the play action stuff. I really like Michael Floor as a coordinator. Like his play calling has been really good considering who he's had at quarterback. So I can see them like creating a 49ers East type of thing. And, and Jimmy would be the perfect quarterback for that. There you go. You heard it here. Steven Ruiz says Jimmy G is the first quarterback he would select if available. <laughs> on the, on the It'll be a Panther anyway. though. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. of out. course, of course. All right, Steve, uh, tell, tell the people where they can find your stuff, what you're working on. You, you, you got some good hot takes coming out on the Twitter sphere. Yeah. You can find me at the Steven Ruiz. Don't be con- confused by other imposters. I'm yeah. I'm, you have to say the Steven Ruiz. Like, yeah, the I regret making that my thing, but Steven Ruiz is taken some guy in like Puerto Rico who hasn't tweeted in 10 years. Is, is... I know I have the same thing. I feel like there should be Elon. If you're listening, I know you listen, like there should be, if you have way more certain degree of more followers, followers, you should be able to usurp them and just take their and take their handle. Also, you're a loser if you're listening, but anyway, uh... <laughs> Uh, and you can find me at the ringer. All right. Find me at the ringer. Find us quarterback ratings. Yell at rankings. Dot the ringer.com. Yeah. Yell at him. Um, or, or give him some praise, you know, don't just hit the like button, actually get in the replies and, and, and give him some praise here. But thank you, my man, for coming on here. Good discussion here. I'll be back on Friday morning to wrap up Thursday night football, talk about mailbags, some other stuff here. Otherwise appreciate everyone tuning in and, uh, I'll be talking to you then.